All right, we're going to um, <clears throat> continue looking at uh, what we were talking about last week in Ephesians chapter 6 in the armor of God. And we've still got a few pieces of armor to look at and talk about. And so we're going to try to work through those uh, this morning. If you want to turn there to Ephesians chapter 6 just to kind of uh, refresh our minds. We talked about last week, I guess, uh, the why we need this and what is this about. And, and it's really looking at what we're up against as Christians, as God's uh, children, as people who want to be faithful to God. What what are we up against? And it it's up against these evil powers and principalities, uh, rulers of darkness. It's, it's a spiritual battle is what we said. And so if it's a spiritual battle... Really, the only thing we can know about it, since we can't see this, uh, the only things we can know is what God has told us about it, and 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 this is part of how God is equipping us for the battle. Uh, here in Ephesians, what Paul is these analogies Paul's making uh, to a soldier and to the armor that a soldier wears. That's all part of how we're equipped to be successful in this battle. And so, uh, last week uh, we talked about having our waist girded with truth. Uh, we talked about having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Uh, here this hour, I'm going to talk about uh, the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith, and then Gary's going to finish it up the next hour uh, with the rest of the armor. And so, as we're going through this, I, I want us to all think about, this, this is again how we are equipped. This is tools God's given us. It's, it's armor. It's things God has given us to help us be successful uh, in our this spiritual battle that we're in. Um, hold on a second. That's last week. This is this week's. Alright, so, I want to talk about the breastplate of righteousness first. Look there in Ephesians 6. Uh, we'll start in verse 13. It says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Okay, so in verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness. That's what we're going to talk about next. And when you're thinking about armor, uh, I think this is a pretty... Easy answer. I asked Colston yesterday when I was going through this, what does a breastplate do? And he says it protects your heart. You know, that's that's what a breastplate of armor does. It's protecting what's vital, you know, your vital organs, especially your heart area. And so, you know, I would say, based on this analogy, it's something pretty important, this breastplate of righteousness. And as I think about uh, this righteousness or this concept of righteousness, uh, that is equated to a, a piece of armor here. There's at least a couple of things that came to my mind. Uh, the first thing is when talking about righteousness, it really can only be obtained where? Through God and through Jesus, His 
Son and, and through the sacrifice that was made for us that we just remembered uh, by taking the Lord's Supper. And and that, I think, for us Christians is something that has to be, you know, deep inside us and, and, and really it's what our foundation and, and uh, rock has to be is that the righteousness we're able to have is only through that sacrifice. It's only because of what God has done for us. <coughs> Romans chapter 3 uh, is one of the places we can see that. Uh, in the New Testament. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely in His grace, by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by the blood through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so, over and over again in those verses, at least two or three times, we see that this righteousness comes through faith in Jesus. It comes through our faith and belief in, in what Jesus did for us and, and that that is where our forgiveness is. And so really, that's what our righteousness is founded in. That's the only way we can be righteous. Uh, that's where it all starts. Paul repeats this in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, <clears throat> starting in verse 8 says, Yet indeed I also count all things for loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection of the dead. And so again, Paul repeating that, uh, that this righteousness we have is from God and, it, and it's through our faith in Jesus and in that sacrifice. And so without, you know, this gift of forgiveness, without that sacrifice, uh, there's absolutely no way we could ever even have a discussion of the breastplate of righteousness. You know, that's where it all starts. Uh, it, you know, it's really because of what God has done for us, the love He's shown and the grace He's shown, that we're able to be righteous in His sight. And, and us being able to realize that and, and comprehend that and always realize that it's something we cannot earn or deserve or anything like that, you know, that's a must for us as Christians. And so that's one part of considering this righteousness and the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, <clears throat> if we have the faith that we should in that sacrifice, look at what Ro Romans 8 says about this righteousness. Romans chapter 8. I think I read this last week too. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 
Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or naked, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? For, as it, for it is written, For your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, in thinking about this righteousness, in thinking about our, our faith in that, and what has been done for us, what is Paul saying here? He's saying that we can be so sure of this, we can have such confidence in this righteousness, that there's nothing anybody or anything in this on this earth can do to take that righteousness from us. We understand that, you know, we can give that up ourselves or we can walk away from that ourselves, but there's nothing that you can do that would affect me. Uh, you know, it's all on me. And if I do something to throw away that righteousness. And so, you know, I think that that in and of itself and thinking about some armor, that's a protection for us, right? As Christians, that offers us some protection to know that there's nothing anybody else can do that will affect our righteousness in God's eyes. It, it's us. Uh, nobody else can, can mess that up for us. And so that's something we should be thankful of, and, and I think that's part of how this may be armor for us. Um, the second thing to consider in this righteousness, or the breastplate of righteousness, uh, is that God expects us as His children uh, to be righteous people. He expects this righteousness to be an active uh, righteousness. It's not just something that is passive. It's, it's active. And, you know, this is a, a clear and prevalent theme throughout the New Testament, really throughout the Bible. When someone is spoken of as having righteousness or being righteous or doing righteous things, it, it's active. It's, it's always doing the things that God wants them to do or, or us doing the things God wants us to do. He expects righteous living from His people. Uh, and righteousness is never portrayed uh, as something we obtain and, you know, okay, I'm righteous and then I can go do what I want. It's never portrayed as that anywhere in the New Testament or anywhere in the Bible. Uh, you know, it, it's never portrayed as that. It's always portrayed as doing the will of God, doing the things that He's commanded to do. Uh, and and it's really shown as something that us as Christians are supposed to always be striving towards. We're supposed to always be practicing righteousness. We're supposed to be applying that to our lives as we learn more and more about uh, what God uh, wants and expects of us. It, it's a doing thing. It's something we have to do. And we have to let God define that. He, he defines and tell, tells us what righteousness is and what things are righteous in His sight. And so really, you know, as you boil this down, this second way to think about the breastplate of righteousness is our obedience. It's the actions required by God of us. And again, this is just, that theme is from one end of the other in the Bible. Uh, if you look at just in the New Testament, 
Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verse 20. Jesus talking there in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and these verses just is just these verses just scratch the surface of of everything that's said about righteousness. But Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, these will just be to show uh, that it's required of us. God expects us to be a righteous people and that that involves our actions. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so we've got Jesus saying that uh, for someone to enter the kingdom of heaven, their righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. In Acts chapter 24, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 25, it's just a, a snapshot verse there, but that's Paul talking to Felix, uh, t teaching him about God. And, and we see that Felix understands part of Paul's message there is that there's some righteousness required, a righteous way of living. It, it says in Acts chapter 24, verse 25, <laughs> says, Now as he, that's Felix, reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now, and when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. And so again, I think we can see there that Felix understood uh, some requirements from him about righteousness uh, it, for one to be faithful to God. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 encourages the, the, the brethren there in Corinth. <clears throat> chapter 15 verse 34. says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. So again, his exhortation there to awake to righteousness uh, to the Christians there in Corinth. 1 Timothy 6 and 11, uh, Paul tells Timothy to pursue righteousness. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, he says we should live righteously. Uh, that, and so over and over again, again, that just scratches the surface of these type verses that show that our actions are part of uh, this this righteousness. And so they're going to play a part in the the breastplate of righteousness. And I think, uh, at least to me, the uh, one of the neat things about this concept of righteousness being tied to our actions and, and what we're doing is that when we do apply this, when we do do the things that God has said and we put it into practice and we live in a righteous way, like what is described by God and defined by God, then, you know, this righteousness, again, acts as a breastplate to protect us from the evil one. It, it protects our hearts. It helps to protect um, uh, the things that we do. It, it helps to guard us against the world, guard us against the things uh, that may try to pull us away from God. And it even, uh, you know, I guess from a, a practical standpoint, in 1 Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> it, it protects us some against people speaking evil against us. Now, I guess someone could always come along and speak evil against anyone, um, but, but it's really not going to stick based on what we see in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in 13. It says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it's better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And so we can see there when we're living righteously, when we live the way God wants us to live, it's really a a piece of armor force. It protects us even if someone does come against you with an accusation or something. It, you know, it really uh, doesn't matter, especially in the in the spiritual uh, realm. But you know, it says that uh, by your good conduct in Christ, people will be ashamed if, if they're trying to accuse you of doing wrong. And so, that was just a, another thing that I thought of about how. Righteousness can be a piece of armor for us and how it can uh, help to protect us. <clears throat> all right, that's, uh, that's really all I had about the breastplate of righteousness. You could, you could, you know, develop that thought a lot more, I'm certain. Uh, but for the sake of time, we're going to move on to uh, the next piece uh, that I need to do. We did the uh, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel last week, and so... The next one is the shield of faith. Uh, and this one, right out of the gate, uh, this one jumps out as me as being something very important. It says, above all, if you look back there in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, above all, take the shield of faith, uh, or have the shield of faith. And so that gets my attention. Okay, this is something important. I'm going to need this. I've got to have this. This is a piece, I would say, we must keep with us at all times. Uh, not that we can abandon any of the other ones, but if there's anything that we need to be sure we have with us, it's this one, the shield of faith, because it is uh, just paramount to everything about being a Christian. This is a piece that's really been used by God's people from, as far as I can think, all the way back to Abel, you know, that we have record of, and, and Abel's sacrifice. Uh, we're told in Hebrews was pleasing to God because it was from faith. And so this concept of faith in God um, is something that, you know, has been really from the beginning. And it's something that us as Christians are going to have to have and maintain. And it needs to be a strong faith. And when it is, we're going to look at some passages. When it is, it's very effective in being a piece of armor for us. It's very helpful for us. Uh, it's something we can't be saved without. I think we would all understand that. <clears throat> We're told in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and, and just thinking about uh, it being something that we're not saved without. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, again, we see that we're saved by grace through faith. It's part of our salvation. You, you cannot be saved without that faith. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Obviously, there's no way we can talk about the shield of faith without looking at some of what's said about faith uh, by the Hebrew writer. Just look at 
verses 1 through 7 of Hebrews 11, uh, talking about, I guess, the necessity of faith for us as Christians, and, and we get some definitions and pictures of what faith is and how it works here in the first seven verses. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are, are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And so, again, thinking in those verses and looking at those verses along the line of, of first of all, I, Christians have to have faith to even become a Christian. Uh, second of all, looking at the definition that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Alright, so that's our definition. It's, it's what we hope for. It's the things in, uh, that are in, entailed with what we hope for. Uh, it's the evidence of things not seen. Uh, it's also how the elders obtained a good testimony with God. That's part of how uh, we're able to be approved of God is through this faith. And, and you know, the rest of the chapter kind of shows that. We see in verse 6 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I think that's something that's very important. And again, that goes, uh, ties in very well with, with Ephesians uh, and, and what we're talking about. Above all, have the shield of faith. So without faith, it's impossible to please God uh, because we have to believe that he is, first of all, you have to believe that there is a God and that he, He's a God who rewards those who seek Him. He's a God who rewards those who are trying to be pleasing to Him, who want to know Him and, and want to be a part of, of Him and the things that He offers. And so, you know, again, uh, all these passages just to see that faith is a must-have for our salvation, it's a must-have for our, our spiritual success, <clears throat> and... In thinking about this armor that's described in Ephesians 6 and, and faith being the shield of faith, I wanted to spend the last few minutes talking about what a shield does for a soldier and, and kind of making some spiritual applications for us from that. So what does a shield do? It protects, uh, it, it, it deflects things, uh, it guards a soldier against harm, etc. I think we all can understand that. And so, in this spiritual war that we're in, what can it do for us? Well, it, we're told in Ephesians that it can quench the fiery darts of the adversary. And so, again, it's protecting or deflecting or uh, quenching these things that the adversary, that Satan is, is 
shooting at us to try to harm us. And so for us to, to see how a shield can protect us or think about that in a spiritual from a spiritual standpoint, we got to think about what are these fiery darts? You know, what what are these things that this shield can quench or protect us from? Well, the fiery darts can be all kind of different things uh, for us as Christians. It can be temptations for us to sin. It can be doubts. It can be worries. These are all things that we see in the Bible Satan uses to, to tempt or to try to pull God's people away from him. So we've got temptations, doubts, worries, difficult circumstances, unexpected events, you know, anything that can cause us to drift away or fall away from God or to quit being faithful to God. These are all fiery darts that Satan can shoot at us. These are all things that are his weapons or his things that he's trying to do to harm us uh, and, and from a spiritual standpoint. And so I wanted to make a few applications along those lines in thinking about how uh, this shield of faith can help to protect us against some of these darts. You know, James chapter 2, uh, we're not going to take the time to read it, but James chapter 2, we're told, uh, starting in verse 14, where we, we get this uh, better picture of faith or this description uh, James gives us of faith, that it is an active faith, a living faith is a faith that is doing things. Uh, it, it, it's not just a, a I believe faith. It's an active take action. I believe and I'm doing the things that God wants me to do because I believe in what He's told me and I believe in Him and in the, the promises He's made. And so for our shield of faith to be of any benefit to us, we have to strap it on and use it. Right? It has to be an active faith. It has to be something we're using or else it's not going to do us any good. We can't just say, I have the shield of faith, but not put it on our arm or not use it uh, in the ways that God wants us to. The first, I guess, set of darts, of fiery darts I wanted to talk about uh, is these darts of temptation. You know, that's the most obvious to me is, is Satan tempting somebody or tempting me is like him shooting a, a dart at me, trying to harm me or hurt me. Uh, we see in James that these temptations come from our desires. Satan seems to be aware of our desires on some uh, level. He knows what they are, and he's able to tempt us according to our desires. We see that he did that with Eve in the Garden of Eden. He did that with Jesus. <clears throat> We've got two instances there of temptation uh, where one, Eve, you know, she, she seemed to get hit and was injured by the dart. The temptation led her away uh, and she sinned. Whereas Jesus was able to use faith, uh, to use his knowledge about God to protect himself from those temptations and not give in uh, to those things. They were both tempted towards their desires, but one was successful and one was not. And so if we're going to be successful, if we're going to use the shield of faith, we have to allow, uh, we have to have faith in God's Word and what it teaches us about transforming our minds and having these spiritual desires as a, 
opposed to carnal desires. And that's what the New Testament teaches us, that Christians have spiritual desires and not carnal desires. And, and the better we get at putting away these carnal desires, the, the easier it is to overcome those temptations because if we have the spiritual desires, that's right, the right desires. And, and you know, there's no way Satan can really tempt us in that way. Uh, as long as we have the right desires. Uh, we also must have faith that we can rely on the promises that God's made us. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 where He's promised us that we, He won't allow us to be tempted more than we can bear. And so He's protecting us in a sense there. He, he won't let us be tempted to the point that we're going to have to sin. Otherwise, He wouldn't be a just God for condemning us for sinning. Uh, if he allowed us to be tempted more than we could withstand. Uh, our faith also, in talking about uh, temptation, our faith must be such that we rely on the high priest that we have in Jesus, and we rely on what we're told about him, that he is a faithful high priest. He's one who can uh, understand what it's like to be tempted. He was tempted in all points, uh, such as we are, and overcame those, and so he can sympathize with us, and he knows how to help us in those temptations. And so if we have faith uh, like we're supposed to have in God and in these things he's told us, uh, these protections he's given us, the, the tools he's given us, then we'll be able to quench the darts of temptation uh, that Satan shoots at us. What about darts of worry and darts of doubt? You know, these are just as dangerous uh, as temptation darts, I would say. And again, God has equipped us. Uh, if we just have faith in Him and in, in, in the ways He's told us, the examples He's given us to look at for how to overcome these, if we'll do it, follow His ways in that, we can uh, easily overcome those too. It says... <clears throat> Or we can overcome uh, these type darts of, of worry and doubt by looking at examples in, in the Bible. Think about Elijah and the worry and the doubt that he had at times when he got uh, really down and discouraged. Uh, think about Abraham uh, and, and the promises he was made and the age he was and, and uh, his wife Sarah. We see uh, that she had some doubts about those promises coming true. Uh, but we see that they still did the things that God wanted them to do, and it still turned out the way God told them it was going to turn out. And so their faith helped to pull them through that. Um, in thinking about just worry in general and doubt in general about this life, <clears throat> you know, we're told by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, basically not to worry about the things of this life. Uh, we're told to have faith. Uh, and to seek the kingdom first, and those things will be provided to us. And so, again, that is one way we can quench these these uh, darts of worry or doubt. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 tells us to be anxious for nothing, to let our requests be made known to God. And so, again, instruction about how to overcome anxiety or overcome worry or doubts. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 he tells us to cast our cares upon Him. Uh, starting in verse 6, says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Okay, and so again, 
Do we have faith in that? Do we have faith in these promises, these things that we're being told here, that God is looking out for us? And if we do have the faith in these things that we're supposed to, it acts as a shield for us against uh, the, the things that Satan may use to try to discourage us or bring us uh, down uh, from a spiritual standpoint. The third, uh, I guess, section of fiery darts that I mentioned was difficult circumstances or unexpected events. <clears throat> Again, this is this is one of the ways Satan tries to discourage us. We see that with Job, right? Job was doing very well. He was a righteous man, seemingly, you know, one of the most righteous at that time. Uh, and how does Satan attack him? Difficult circumstances and unexpected events. You know, he, he messes up the good life that he had, uh, if you want to look at it that way. Same uh, thing with Joseph. You know, Joseph was portrayed as someone very faithful to God, who had a faith in God and reliance upon Him. But he had difficult circumstances and unexpected events happen in his life. But he maintained his faith in God, and, and that, that worked as a shield for him. And he was... Uh, taken care of and able to continue being faithful to God. The apostles, you know, are the same way. These are all just people we could we could think about as examples whose faith uh, acted as a shield for them or helped them to to uh, guard off uh, these things that Satan uses against us to try to pull us down. Philippians chapter four, a passage we're all very familiar with. Again, just thinking about how to deal with difficult circumstances, looking at Paul, and, and we know uh, that he had a long list of difficult circumstances and unexpected events. <clears throat> and look at, at how he was able to handle those. Starting in verse 11 not of, of chapter 4, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so again, we can look at that and we can see and learn from that example and learn from what he's saying there that his faith in God allowed him to overcome those difficult circumstances and unexpected events. It, you know, those things that may have been a discouragement to him because of his faith in God, because he knew the promises of God were true, he believed in them. You know, he was able to endure uh, many hardships and things that, that uh, can tend to pull us down. Hebrews 11, you know, of course, if you want to just read a long list of people accomplishing great things, people overcoming serious obstacles, uh, people obtaining wonderful promises, all because their faith was able to quench these fiery darts, these things, these hardships that uh, were brought about in their lives, their faith pulled them through that. And so it acted as a shield for them. They were able to, to maintain their uh, commitment to God and to doing the things that God wanted them to do because uh, they had a strong faith. And, you know, if we will have the same faith, if we'll do those same things, rely on God's promises, uh, believe uh, in the things that He's told us, then it will act as a shield for us, uh, you know, as long as we're using it the way He wants us to. So that was 
the thoughts I had about <clears throat> the shield of faith. And really, you know, the, all of these pieces of armor we're talking about are pieces of armor for Christians. Uh, they're things that God is equipping Christians with, and, and that all has to start, of course, with becoming a Christian. And, and we, we read in Romans that uh, faith, we've been talking about faith, that it starts by hearing the Word of God. That's where our faith originates at. Uh, we believe in that. We have faith in that. We trust in that Word. Uh, we confess that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins, that He was the Son of God sent for us as a sacrifice. We repent of the sins that God has given us, or that God uh, has told us are wrong, that we understand we can't live that way anymore. We have to turn from those sins and start living in the righteous way that God has prescribed, and then we're baptized to wash away those sins and raised up a new man to live a life faithful to God and service to God, doing His will from that point forward. And you know that's where this this journey begins. That's that's what you have to do to become a Christian initially, before you can even put on this armor that we're talking about. You have to do those things, and so. We, we offer the invitation at this time uh, for anyone who's not ever done that and understands that that's what they need to do. We, we want them to do that. For anyone who has but who may not have uh, been living faithfully, who may have let these darts that Satan shoots at us uh, distract us or pull us down or lead us into sin or uh, pull us away from God, then, then you know we've all struggled with that in various ways and, and we want to be here to support one another. Uh, in overcoming those things, and, and we offer that uh, chance too. So if there's any need from anyone here, we ask you to let that be known as we stand and sing.